are listening to Booze, Bullshit, and True Crime. I'm Bree. I'm Wit. And we're going to talk about some gnarly shit. Some mysteriously gnarly shit. We're talking about people who disappeared into thin air. Missing person cases that were not solved. Never solved. So, frustrating, but I really love my case because there is no perpetrator that they have found, so I get to focus specifically on the victim, which I thought was pretty cool. Did you know that TV show, uh, Unsolved the Mysteries? Yes. That there's actually, like, a study that's done that says, I can't remember if it's 50% or, like, 40%. It's, like, 40 to 50% of the cases that were on there have been solved. I've heard that. The TV show really helps. Yeah, and it's, like, thousands of cases. It's wide-reaching, so yeah. even somebody who still doesn't live in the area can see that show, and if they have a tip, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, so what happened this week? I did a bunch of yard work. You've done a bunch of yard work. Lots of weed whacking. Uh-huh. I don't know. What else has happened? I went on a hike and got a bunch of poison oak. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I came up with my own, like... Low remedy for it, and it's been working real good. Good. I didn't have much in the house, but I knew that apple cider vinegar is good for everything, but it's supposed to be good for poison oak. And then baking soda is supposed to be good because it has, like, drawing qualities. And I know peppermint and lavender essential oil is soothing, so I put all that shit together into a paste and, like, slather it all over. And you can watch the oil, like, come out into the baking soda as it dries. It's a trip. And then after that, I wash it all off and I put some of our antiseptic slash headache relief salve that we sell on witchofthewoods.apothecary on Instagram. So go check that out. Yeah. Covered it all. I think that was that. I still haven't gotten my unemployment and I've been unemployed for over a month now. Yep. So that's great. I'm sorry. It The site keeps crashing and it keeps like, I keep opening my claim and it keeps closing my claim and telling me to reopen it and it just keeps doing that yep it's scary a lot of people are having the same problem so there's a lot of people out there that need money to pay their bills and can't get any money to pay their bills even though it's supposedly being offered yeah it's kind of hard to jump through the loops to get there yeah especially because you can't call now because when you call it just says uh recorded message about there being too many calls and then it hangs up on you well i sat on hold i guess it depends on when you call you didn't get anybody though did you i hung up because i figured it out online oh mm-hmm. <laughs> what were you trying to figure out i don't remember but i got it done oh okay well i guess i might as well start with my case and not really much to talk about because there's not much mm- going on in this house not much going off on in most people's houses, I think. We're just cleaning and mm-hmm. cooking a lot and Start trying to everything. stay sane. I'm itchy. I know, because you're spreading poison oak I everywhere. I forgot to put salve on that spot. I know. I swear the salve helps with the itching and stuff, too. It's real good. Real good. Mm-hmm. 
oh, I came up with a new product, which is like little cheesecloths filled with Epsom salt and coconut oil and a bunch of other yummy things and essential oil and rose and vanilla. And those are super bomb. Super bomb. Super bomb. All right. My case I did is on the disappearance of Rico Harris. Rico. And I would show you a picture of him right now, but if we bring our phones next to the computer, it fucks up the recording. But this guy looks so sweet. Like, you just want to be his friend when you see his picture. Mm. And I focus mostly on his background. And I got, like, three pages in of notes. And then I was like, oh, I haven't even, like, began talking about the disappearance, which there's not a whole lot of information on that either. But all this case... I found super interesting. Have you ever heard of this guy? No, I have not heard of him. And he said it took you three pages of notes to get into the crime? Yeah. So you you have like six pages of notes? No. Oh. I have like four. I just said there's not a lot of info. Like the disappearance is pretty straightforward and it was never solved. So. Mm. I just did shallow dives. So. Okay. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so... While doing this research, I really fell in love with Rico. He seemed like a sweet man who came from a rough upbringing who just struggled in some respects. I'll start from the beginning. Um, Rico's childhood. Rico was f the firstborn son of Margaret Fernandez and Henry Harris. His father, Henry, was a star forward for Idaho State. I literally had to verify with Wade that a forward was a position played in basketball, and yes, it is. So, he was a basketball player for Idaho State. Uh, Rico's father played ball as well. Rico played ball, too. From what I've read, Rico's father, for the most part, was loving, but he had a mean streak, and he would turn violent and abusive at times. Henry was abusive to all four of his children, but Rico received the worst of it because he was the oldest. Despite this fact, Rico intensely craved his father's attention and approval, even into adulthood. Eventually, Rico's mother, Margaret, found the strength and courage to leave Rico's father. So good for her. Uh, hell, I mean, Margaret had gotten pregnant by Harris at age 17 and had four children with him, so I could see how it could be hard to leave him. Yeah. Yeah. Margaret moved her family to Alhambra, California, where she herself had grown up. Do you know where that is? That's like by L.A., right? I have no idea. I think so. Rico helped in holding the family together at this time. Uh, Margaret had to work full-time to support them and pay the bills, so Rico kind of stepped in to like help take care of the family. Rico had played basketball in high school um, until age 15 when he decided to give up the sport. He decided that he wanted to, like, pursue acting, and he wanted to be an actor, and him and his friend actually went to, like, some, oh yeah, they said some Hollywood high, so it must have been by L.A. That was super far away from his house, just because he decided he wanted to be an actor. But flash forward to his junior year of high school, and Rico is back on the court playing for his high school team, playing basketball. Mm -hmm. Throughout high school and college, Rico struggled academically really bad. Um, and during high school, he got with this girlfriend, and his girlfriend and his girlfriend's family really helped him like academically and helped with his studies, and he started excelling more. 
So I thought that was really sweet. From this point on, Rico was praised for his NBA potential. His height of his playing career happened between the years of 1996 and 1997. He was the MVP of the State Community College Tournament, and he led his team to the state championship. He only ever played one year for a Division I team. However, despite his considerable interest from multiple NBA teams, he never came close to signing with them. He never like responded to any of their correspondence. He himself claimed he did not respond to recruiters because he believed that they were only interested in him for his academic ability and not his personal development. Which, like, yeah, they're an NBA recruiter. They're probably only interested in you for your athletic ability, I would assume. Yeah, your chess piece. Yeah. Play the game. Yeah. During Rico's college career, his drinking rapidly increased. He was drinking heavily in his time off and sipping beer throughout the day to stave off his hangovers. Um, while he was in college and struggling with addiction, he and that girlfriend that he got during high school that really helped him out broke up. Surprisingly enough, his drinking never affected his game, and he was a very skilled and highly sought-after player, even if he did not take the opportunities offered to him. Rico played briefly for the San Diego Stingrays, a semi-professional team. Um, and they, like, likened him to Lamar Odom, because I guess he was playing college ball around the same time and had the same, like, position and playing ability. Uh, in the spring of 2000, Rico joined the famed Harlem Globetrotters. Rico really had seemingly found his, like, niche um, his skills were ideal for the Harlem Globetrotter shows, which I barely know what this is, but it's, like, a team of basketball players that do, like, trick shots and stuff, no? And they, like, put on a show? Yeah. Okay. I can't... They do more than just trick shots and stuff, but yeah. I was gonna say, I'm sure it's cool, but, like, how interesting can that be? It's pretty cool. What do they do? They're entertainers. Basketball players. But what all do they do besides, like, jumping on the trampoline and doing dunk shots? That's no, what I've seen. No, not really. That they, I, they juggle ball. I don't fucking know. They just do weird shit. They spin balls on their finger. They make fucking trick shots. They, yeah. Okay. I mean, I would go Basketball see Basketball cool things. Basketball cool things, huh? Mm-hmm. This poor guy, though, just a month after getting his new job with the Harlem Globetrotters, Rico experienced a life-changing event. He and his girlfriend at the time were out driving around South L.A. when he was involved in some kind of dispute. I couldn't find a whole lot of specific details about this dispute, but during it, Rico left his vehicle to confront the individuals. Um, at this point, one of the individuals hit him in the back of the head with a baseball bat. Rico was able to leave the scene, but the injury had a long-lasting effect on his body. He started having super intense headaches and problems keeping his balance. So, at age 24, his basketball career was over forever. I know, that's sad. After this incident, he returned home to his mother and his siblings. His alcoholism spiraled out of control and soon broadened to encompass meth, heroin, and crack cocaine. He was arrested over a hundred times, mostly for public intoxication. 
My God. Like, I read that, and I was like, wow, like, that's, that's so sad. To support his habit, the once-renowned NBA prospect turned to begging in the streets. In 2007, after an overdose of prescription pills, Rico entered a treatment program from where he eventually graduated. It was like a super intensive program, and it like took a long time to get through, but he was sober when he graduated. After getting clean, he met his girlfriend, Jennifer Song, at a party. She was visiting California from her hometown of Seattle, so she was just there for a certain reason, and she didn't live there. See why I did so much on him, though? Like, this guy was an interesting guy. Uh, Rico abruptly left his apartment he shared with his roommate, who was another graduate of the rehab that Rico had attended. Allegedly, he left this roommate, like, without telling him what was going on, left him with, like, unpaid bills and rent, and just, like, peaced out. Peaced out. Yeah. Shortly afterward, Rico began the process of moving in with Song in Seattle. Before completing the move, Rico went to visit his family one last time in Alhambra. It is believed he made the trek to garner some sort of closure from his mother regarding his difficult childhood. Him and his mother did speak privately before Rico left Alhambra to return back to Seattle. Um, and he, uh, he, like, basically what his mom said was he didn't get what he had hoped for out of the conversation. So whether it didn't go good or the mom didn't have the answer that he wanted or yeah. whatever, it just, it didn't, it didn't go the way he had hoped. He left Alhambra taking the I-5 North. Records show he stopped in Lodi, California for gas, which is 40 miles south of Sacramento, and a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's bad now. Who wants to live in Lodi? At 10.45, like, I think Fresno's bad, and then I'm like, man, I could have lived somewhere like Lodi, or Los Banos, or Dos Palos, or yeah. Chowchilla, mm -hmm. or Kalinga. Jesus. They're all so bad. Okay. At 10.45 a.m. on October 10th, he left a message for his girlfriend's song saying he was, quote, heading to the mountains to rest since he had not gotten much sleep since he had left Seattle initially to go to Alhambra. At 11.15 a.m., the phone was turned off and Rico was never seen or heard from since. Well, never seen definitively, at least. After being reported missing, Rico's black Nissan Maxima was found with no signs of foul play, and the entire area was searched to no avail. It was, like, a mountain-adjacent area that had, like, a little creek, and there was a parking lot not far away. The entire area was searched, like I said, like, on foot, by helicopter, all these things. They didn't find any trace of him. Then, on October 18th, eight days after Rico went missing, another sighting in the same area was reported. Um, there was one of him, like, sitting on a guardrail. And, oh no, sorry. That was right after he went missing. That was on, like, the 11th of him sitting on a guardrail, and one person said they saw him in the parking lot. So, like, right around the time that he wasn't heard from, two people saw him. And then on the 18th, this tipster described Rico's clothing down to a T saying he was wearing like light colored pants which that's what he was wearing when he left his mom's house in Alhambra um and they said that they saw him in this that same area where his car was recovered so you know everybody that was on the case was like okay maybe we should go research this area because it's a week later and somebody's still seeing him here 
That next day after the tip, investigators even located size 18 shoe prints leading from that parking lot near where they found his car to the creek where Rico's car was located. Size 18? Size 18. Size 18 is obviously not common, and that matched Rico's shoe size. Holy shit. Yeah, so that's a little weird, right? Because, like, size 18, like, that is not common. How many Mm -hmm. people do you think wear that size shoe? Yeah. Yeah. Shaq. Exactly. Investigators were scratching their heads because this man was 6'9 and 300 pounds. So, like, he stands out. This gave even more validity to these eyewitness accounts because he's not your run-of-the-mill average-looking dude. Like, he was easily identified. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody can point that guy out even from a moving car looking at him from a parking lot. Yeah. The only thing this time around that investigators found when they conducted this next search was um, Rico's backpack, and they said it was near the creek. The only evidence within the backpack was Rico's cell phone that had some, like, lighthearted selfies and a picture of him, like, by a town sign that says, like, you are entering, blah, blah, blah. And he was, like, playfully posing in front of it. And then there were also some videos on the phone, which it they said it looked like the videos were taken on accident. Like, it was, like, him fiddling through his glove department and, like, looking through his CDs in his car and stuff like that. And I guess the angle and stuff, it looked like he had, like, accidentally pressed record. But these things had time and date stamps on them. And they were all from October 10th, which is the same day that he had called Song and, you know, left her that voicemail and sent her that message and all that. So it lines up with the you know, date that the missing person's case was filed, but just nobody has heard from this dude. He just fucking disappeared. And the other thing was he was visiting Alhambra, and the next day, like this, the following day after this day, he needed to be back in Seattle because he had a job interview, and it was his first, like, job interview that he had not related to basketball based on, you know, like a, you know career for himself that he could have because that injury happened and all that and he was finally to a place where he could work so it just none of it made sense yeah that's very interesting do you think he ran no you know you think that he got taken or something happened or what i mean the only feasible thing i could think is that maybe he committed suicide in a way that just his body wasn't found because that conversation did happen with his mom. Yeah. And he did just, like, up and leave that apartment, which to me is kind of weird. And, you know, his addiction maybe had... Co- oh, that was the other thing. When they recovered his car, they found, like, a bottle, a water bottle full of alcohol and then an empty one that smelled strongly of the same beverage. So, mm. like, he had relapsed. Yeah. He was drinking again. Yeah, but I don't think there was any reason for anybody to, like take him i think it was probably some kind of accident it's just so weird such a big guy just gone there's no remnants of him no shoes no clothes nothing like nothing yeah it's interesting yeah it was a good case but thanks but when i read that about the alcohol i was like because i forgot to put it in Mm -hmm. the notes but i did read that i was like oh man that that makes me think something bad did happen Mm. but yeah i thought it was really good thanks that was good so, like I said earlier, I did a short dive on, like, three separate cases that have been solved. 
Okay. And I kind of put them in order of like oldest by date to newest by date. Oh, and before you start oh, really quick, I'm okay. sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off. The picture that I'm going to show Wade after we stop recording of this guy is going to be on our Facebook and Instagram, Booze Bullshit and True Crime, so you can go check that out. And I'm also going to get pictures of Wade's case cases that he's about to tell us about. Yes. And they'll be on there as well. And then our Gmail is boozebsandtruecrime at gmail.com. So sorry. Continue. Awesome. All right. So my first case is about a little man named Jimmy. How little? His real name was James Gilmore Jr., and he was age 14. Oh. So he was from Baldwin Park, which I believe Baldwin Park is New York. I'm probably completely wrong. Okay. But I'll figure it out, and I'll put it up on the Facebook. Anyways, uh, uh, he was, like, a really big bully, and... The local police knew him, his family, every like the whole, the whole Gilmore family. The police knew really well, and the neighbors considered Jimmy like a nuisance. And uh, even his own mother and si- siblings didn't really like him that much either. Wait, what? Yeah, so they kind of thought that he was just a hooligan. You know what I mean? He ran around with the fucking motorcycle gang, like a teenage motorcycle gang. And but shit you like really that. think his mom didn't like him? And uh, they, she was, she always had something to say about his, her son. He was a thorn in her side. Exactly. Yeah, I want. I guess she didn't like him, but or guess I would wouldn't say she didn't like him, but he was irritating to her. Okay. Anyways, uh, Jimmy was home alone on the night of January 7th, 1962, and he was actually, like, babysitting his younger brother, Wayne. Uh, that's when they heard a knock on the back door, and while, uh, Jimmy and his brother, Wayne, were watching TV, Jimmy stood up and said that he was going to go out back for a little while. Okay. When Jimmy hadn't returned after three days, what the fuck? his mother then reported him missing. What the fuck? And Wayne kind of told him, like, oh, yeah, but, you know, Jimmy left, blah, blah, blah. He said he was going to go out with the guys. So she thought that he was just with the motorcycle gang, hanging out with the teenagers. Okay. He's 14. Yes. Okay. So, uh... She called the police, she made the missing persons report, all that, and she actually told the police that her son was, uh, he, he probably ran off and he was with, with some friends. He wasn't really, like, responsible enough to come back and check in, in a sense, uh, is what she was saying. Still, even if you think that if you're a parent and you want your kid to come back i wouldn't be like saying that to the cops i don't know that's weird. yeah okay but his father was like expressing s- skepticism about the story and suggested that his son might have uh left the house authorities never considered the family to like be involved in his disappearance so the mom was saying that he's with friends and then jimmy was or jimmy's dad was pretty much saying, like, I think he probably just left and, he, he, you know, he he's not running away. He's just, you know, he's on his own now. He, he left. Let's let him leave. 
let's not make this a big deal. Okay. And that's kind of what I got from everything about God, that's mom weird. and dad. That's weird. It was the 60s. Yes. Anyways, in March of 1985, this is uh, more than a decade after the Gilmores moved out of the home. So, this person bought the home, hired a contractor to come do renovations to the home. Oh, God. Contractor was lifting up some, like, stairs or something like that. Oh, God. And, uh, yeah, found Jimmy's skeleton buried beneath the building in a shallow grave. Even though Jimmy's remains had been, like, lying underneath the house for more than two decades... Neither the Gilmores nor the man who lived in the house after them had ever reported a smell of anything. Oh my god, what? Yeah. So the police gave a lie detector to Jimmy's brother and parents, but all three family members passed. As late of, as, late as of uh, 2015, no one has been arrested for Jimmy's murder. And most of the people connected to the case are no longer alive. Okay, that was a good one. That's crazy. It had to be the parents. It It had had to. It had to have been. I mean, they at that point they have no like actual evidence that's gonna besides him being in the house. But it had to have been the parents, especially if they were acting like that. See, I thought that was weird. Yeah, I thought it was a little weird. Okay, interesting. Okay. So, this is January 16th, 1973. And this case is about Anna Walter. So, uh... Are you broken? Yeah, sorry. Is it not Anna Walter? Is it... No, it's Anna Walter, but, I mean, Michelle? Oh, Michelle? Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming Michelle... Michelle Benedict was chatting inside with some uh, friends. She was like in a restaurant with some, or not a restaurant, but like a, you know, like a Starbucks, like a coffee place type cafe. deal, cafe. Thank you. With some friends, uh, and her four-year-old daughter. No, sorry, 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 sorry. They got back. They met the friends at the house. They were at the house. The daughter was playing in the backyard. There we go. Sorry. Okay. So they're in the back. The daughter. Anna Walter, she's playing in the backyard oh, of their one. home in San Mateo, and it's about like 2.20 p.m. After not hearing Anna for you know quite some time, Michelle realized that her little girl wasn't in the backyard anymore. After searching the property for about 30 minutes, she called police. Investigators feared that Anna had fallen into a nearby creek and drowned, but there's no trace of her you know, found down the or down by the water or downstream on the creek. Okay. So, although uh, accusations have been proven, some investigations... Have never been proven. Or have never been proven, sorry. Some investigators and family members believe that Anna's uh, biological father, George Waters, actually abducted her. But Waters was... uh, like a prestigious doctor, and he suffered from paranoia schizophrenia. God damn it. Paranoid schizophrenia. Thank you. Paranoia schizophrenia. Thank you. Yes, paranoia. (laughs) No, paranoid. I know. (laughs) His friendship uh, 
with like this shady psychic dude, George Brody, destroyed his marriage with Anne or Anna's mother. Okay. And uh, when they got a divorce, he actually left and went and lived in San Francisco with Brody. So Brody kind of uh he's a psychic yeah and he's he was like described as like mysterious and like manipulative so like a con con artist con artist (laughs) okay um and they were i don't know how to say this because i i wrote it in a way that i wanted to say it but i don't really want to say it that way anyways he was a con artist so every like the theory was was that, like, Mr. Walters and Brody kidnapped her and that they were, you know, like, in cahoots with each other. They were, like, a couple. Okay. But what happened was, was Brody died in 81, and immediately after that, like, two weeks after that, Waters commits suicide. So the accusation of, like, them being gay for each other was true, but no, they didn't. They didn't take. They didn't take Anna. Yeah. Why? I yeah. Exactly. Why would they? But they're trying to like you know they're just reaching, reaching. But there's a lot of reports that were talking about how this Brody character and Anna's father were like you know really into each other, and it makes sense because yeah their marriage fell apart because he was in love with him. Yeah. That's why. Um. Years after Anna went missing, her half-brother, uh, Noda, Nada, Nanda, Nanda, remembered an incident that had, like, happened between him and Anna, or with him and Anna, that he never told the parents. So, uh, this was like a month before, or a few months before Anna's disappearance, Anna and, uh, Nada... Nanda. They were, Nanda were playing in the front yard of the same house where uh, Anna disappeared at. Okay. And an unfamiliar, unfamiliar man and woman pulled up to them and was they're driving a Chevy Impala and they were like trying to like persuade Anna to get in the car with them and like leave. But Anna refused. And after she refused, she pretty much they the, the couple just left like they left her alone. Weird. So no one knows if that couple was involved or not, but they, you know, they, it was just too late at that point. So none of it was established or anything like that. That's weird. Very weird. Just disappeared. Into thin air. Into very thin air. And she's a child. It's not like, you know, you can't even, as a child, really ride a, you know, public transport without somebody questioning no. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, this is the most recent one, and I thought you would like it a lot. Okay. So, this is November 12th, 2018, uh, and a couple near Northern California... 2008. Calif- or 2008, sorry. Gotta be exact for yes. what's-his-face from ACRT. Eric. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. So, this couple is, uh, they live in Eureka, which is Northern California. It's actually supposed to be like the Gold Rush ca- or state or whatever. Gold Rush County. Okay, thank you. Yep. <laughs> uh, this couple, they found 23-year-old 
Christine Walters naked and bleeding on their doorstep. So they took the oh, young woman to the hospital. She refused to explain what happened to her. After she was discharged, uh, she told her mother in Wisconsin that she had been chased by demons through the forest. After she participated in a, a, a shamanic ritual. Cool. Her mother offered to fly out there to pick her up and then fly her back to Wisconsin. But Christine pretty much was like, nah, I'm just going to fly out to Wisconsin. I'll be with you. So it took you know a couple days. She didn't just fly out immediately. So according to her mother, she, she was acting like really paranoid on the phone. And she was like... She was pretty much saying that the demon, the forest demons were after her. They were hunting her down and shit. Mm. And she couldn't say why she was, like, bleeding and naked. But she was, or she was saying that she couldn't tell them because she was afraid that the demons were, you know, going to hear her tell them what they did in the forest. Can you imagine your day taking that turn? Just open your door and... Yeah. Naked woman yelling about demons. Oh, man. So, uh, on November 14th, uh, Christine left her ID and backpack at a coffee shop and walked out. She never was seen again. Ever. Wait. What? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) She did. She just walked out. She was done. I I was going to say, somebody saw her naked. Huh? No. November 14th. On the 12th, she was found naked. Oh. On the 14th, when she was supposed to be going to Wisconsin to be with her mom, she just left her wallet and backpack and stuff at the coffee shop she was at, walked out, and never was seen again. So on November 12th, after all that happened, her mom was assuming she had, like, a mental break, and then she was on her way back home. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, uh... Christine, she actually had been staying on the West Coast for, like, the past four months before her disappearance, and she had fallen in love with Northern California's, like, natural beauty. And you just said West... Oh, West Coast of the country. Gotcha. Yeah. And, uh, like, the lifestyle. She just loved it. So, according to friends and family, she uh, had, like... A group of like-minded spiritualists, which she had, like, she trusted. And uh, it's possible that she might have, like, became involved in, like, a dangerous crowd among this alternate community. And that's what happened. Like, somebody took advantage of her is what they're trying to get at. I doubt it, but maybe. Yeah. Cause she was in Eureka, like it's a bunch of hippies up there. When you said Eureka and her falling in love with the two, I was like, man, she must like to pay a lot in rent, cause fuck. Yeah, but also look at everything that's happening in Humboldt too. What? All the murder man. Yeah. Yeah. Still. Right. That's it. That's all I got for you. Those were all really good. That's... Those are pretty good. I mean, these were frustrating because. We don't have, like, an ending, but they were all about the victim, like I said earlier, which is pretty cool. And we already did all of our plugs, so... Hit us up. Bye, y'all.